good to see all you wonderful faces here. So, oh my goodness, hey, Doug is here, good morning. Praise the Lord, so good to see you. And Lloyd, you made it in, thank you very much, good. First of all, before I open a prayer, actually, um, I would like to introduce you to Pastor Tim. Is your wife going to be here? She will be here. Okay, all right. Oh, good. So I'll, I'll introduce him again when his wife, Tony, and his son, Tucker, gets here. But we are blessed and pleased to have Pastor uh, Tim Servati um, for our pastor today. Heavenly Father, we do praise and thank you for this morning. We are so blessed to be enraptured by your love, lavished by your grace. And Lord, we, uh, we call upon you. We ask the Holy Spirit to come and be in this place today to guide and direct us that we might um, worship you and that we might please you and we may grow closer to you, Lord Jesus. So um, we thank you, Father, for being here and we praise you in Jesus' name, amen. Good morning, everybody. You know, as we're ushering in this season that is really important to Christians, there's also the dark side of it, but then there's the victorious, triumphant side. Christ is risen. He's not here. He's risen. Easter Sunday is the most important and joyous day in the calendar of the Christian church, as it should be. For many people, the resurrection of Jesus Christ is symbolized by Easter clothes or the bright colors of daffodils and the beautiful white Easter lilies. But most of all, the wonder of his resurrection is symbolized in the hope that beats in the hearts of every believer everywhere that they will sing triumphantly, Christ the Lord is risen today. Sorry about that. <clears throat> it is the message that Jesus is alive that lifts the Christianity out of the category of the dead superstitions and the archaic religions and makes it the abiding faith of millions. The angel's message is true. He is not here. He's risen. And now God's promise is for you if you confess with your mouth that the Lord Jesus is your King of Kings, but believe in your heart that G or excuse me that God raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. The hope for today: How are we to endure suffering by remembering that Jesus Christ is risen from the dead, and how can we maintain faith during the dark times by remembering that Jesus Christ is risen from the dead? He is risen. He is risen indeed. Oh Lord, oh Lord, how majestic is your name in all of the earth. Oh Lord, oh Lord, how majestic is your name in all of the earth. Oh Lord, we praise your name. Oh Lord, we magnify your name. 
the first five verses of Isaiah 40. Comfort, yes, comfort my people, says your God. Speak comfort to Jerusalem and cry out to her that her warfare is ended, that her iniquity is pardoned, for she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. The voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be exalted and every mountain and hill brought low. The crooked places shall be made straight and the rough places smooth. The glory of the Lord shall be revealed and all flesh shall see it together. For the mouth of the Lord has spoken. When I typed that out, I'd add it as soon and very soon we're going to see the king. Do you know that we're one week closer to that this Sunday than we were last? <laughs> Would you stand with me and we will recite the Lord's Prayer together? Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen.
Our New Testament reading today comes from the book of Hebrews, chapter 10, verses 4 through 10. For it is not possible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. That is why when Christ came into the world, he said to God, You did not want animal sacrifices or sin offerings, but you have given me a body to offer. You were not pleased with burn offerings or other offerings for sin. Then I said, look, I have come to do your will, O God, as it is written about me in the scriptures. First Christ said, you did not want animal sacrifices or sin offerings or burn offerings or other offerings for sin, nor were you pleased with them, though they were required by the law of Moses. Then he said, look, I have come to do your will. He cancels the first covenant in order to put the second into place, into effect. For God's will was for us to be made whole by the sacrifice of the body of Jesus Christ once for all time. Will you join me now in the responsive reading? Through Christ you make us a new creation, O God, for with him we pass from sin to the new life of grace. Accept our prayers in the warm embrace of your compassion and welcome all people to the festive where we may rejoice in your love and celebrate the inheritance you have given to us. We ask this through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, you created the world and all that is in it. And you did it through with through your son. So Lord, and then for some reason you have entrusted great things to mankind. Yes. Each one of us has been blessed by you in one way or another. And you ask, you, you instruct us to give back. So Lord, through the gifts we've given today, may they always be given with an open heart with knowing that all we are doing is returning what you have already provided for us. Yes. Lord, we ask you to bless these and help us to use them wisely so that we can be, further, be a further uh, positive influence within your kingdom. This we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. to formally introduce Pastor Tim Servati. Uh, Pastor Tim uh, is a Baptist minister, so we might get some fire and brimstone, huh? No, I'm kidding. <laughs> 
Um, we welcome his wife, Tony, this morning. Thank you for coming. Um, Pastor Servati um, served in the Air Force for 30 years and uh, then retired. They have four boys, so I'm sure that they have to be really active all the time. Most of them are grown up and gone, but he's got one left at home who is um, 17, and his name is Tucker. And so um, they made their home here in Tucson once he uh, retired. So he's uh, going to speak to us today, and we're grateful. Thank you. Okay. Well, good morning, everyone. I'm originally an Okie, so I resist saying good morning, y'all. Um, okay, there we go. I lived in Texas for a time as well, so it's, it's really ingrained, so I really have to work on it. Uh, seriously, though, thank you for inviting me here today uh, to deliver God's Word. And as Linda said, I'm a Baptist minister. I'm a licensed Baptist minister. And in the Baptist tradition, um, when one demonstrates a call in their life to minister, to teach, and to preach, a local Baptist church may choose to license them. And, and that's the case with, with me. My license says... This is to certify Tim Servati has given evidence that God has called him into the gospel ministry, was licensed to preach the gospel as he may have opportunity, and to exercise his gifts in the work of the ministry. Now, I'm not an ordained minister. Uh, I, I'm what we call a lay minister. And in the past, I've served on, on church staff as a youth pastor and as a, a, an associate pastor. And when we lived in Oklahoma, I had a, um, a nursing home ministry as well. My family and I are active in our church, local church here. It's Authentic Life Church. It meets in Rita Ranch, uh, and uh, just not in a pastoral role. When Linda asked if I would preach today, uh, I was reminded, well, I reminded her, excuse me, I reminded her that I'm Baptist, and I just wanted to be clear on that. Um, but how does my license say it? Any, uh, uh, when, opportunity, when, when opportunity presents itself, if you will, uh, to preach the gospel, even though there are certainly some differences between our denominations, we have one thing, the most important thing in common, is that we have been saved by the shed blood of Jesus Christ. When we focus on Christ Jesus, His love for us, His atoning death on the cross, all of our differences pale in comparison. Paul wrote in Corinthians 2.2, For I determined not to know anything among you, except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. So, that's just my introduction. That's not the sermon. So, all right. Uh, well, this morning I, I've selected a passage for my message, and it's found in the, first, uh, the beginning verses of Luke's Gospel, chapter 5. If you will turn there in your Bibles. Uh, and it's Luke's account of Jesus calling His first disciples. And even though this event took place nearly 2,000 years ago, I am convinced it is vitally necessary for us to possess some of the same qualities of Jesus' first disciples. When we think about the 12, we could not have imagined a more unlikely group of individuals. If you think about just two of the disciples, Matthew, also called Levi, and Simon the Zealot, these two individuals could not be more opposite in terms of political alliances. Matthew, as you know, was a tax collector. He was, he was in his tax collecting booth when Jesus called him to service, uh, called him to follow him. 
And we must remember that a tax collector in those days, they were collecting taxes for the Roman government. They were Jews collecting taxes for the Roman government, and they were notoriously unscrupulous uh, because they would charge extra and pocket the difference. Simon, on the other hand, Simon the Zealot, the Zealot, excuse me, um, was from a band of zealots. That's where the term comes from, and they were, because they were rebelling against the Roman government and also against the Jewish leaders that were going along with the Roman government. They were also re rebelling against the Greek influence that was taking hold in that in, in, in really the known world at that time, and it was destroying. They felt their Jewish culture. So the, the word anarchist may not be the, quite the right word for the zealots, but it's probably not that far off from, to describe them. But these two men, if you imagine these two men being on the same team, they were on uh, complete opposite ends of the spectrum. To be sure, the 12 men that Jesus has selected were a motley bunch of folks. But in just a few years, after the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, they changed the world. The 12 disciples, I think, are it's just, you know, when we look at the 12 disciples, I think that's one example of the mystery of God. The mysteries. We don't understand. I'm reminded of Isaiah chapter 55, verse 8 and 9. It says, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, my ways are not your ways, says the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. I think that's encouraging that God will choose those 12 men because they were everyday folks, not completely indifferent than you or I. So if you're there in Luke chapter 5, if you would follow along, I'll be reading from the New King James Bible, starting in verse 1. And if you're Physically able, I would ask if you'd be willing to stand out of respect for the reading of God's word as I, follow, as I read. So Luke chapter 5, starting in verse 1. So it was, as the multitude pressed about him to hear the word of God, that he stood by the lake of Genesaret and saw two boats standing by the lake. But the fishermen had gone out from them and were washing their nets. Then he got into one of the boats, which was Simon's, and asked, asked him to put out a little from the land, and he sat down and taught the multitudes from the boat. When he, when he stopped speaking, he said to Simon, launch out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. But Simon answered and said to him, Master, we have toiled all night and caught nothing. Nevertheless, at your word, I will let down the net. And when they had done this, they caught a great multitude of fish. And their net was breaking, so they signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled the boats so that they began to sink. When Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees, saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. For he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of fish which they had taken. And so also were James and John, the sons of Zebedee who were partners with Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, Do not be afraid. From now on you will catch men. So when they had brought their boats to land, they forsook, forsook all and followed him. Will you pray with me? Most precious Heavenly Father, we just thank you for your word. We thank you for this story 
that we are probably very familiar with that we've read many, many times. Lord, give us fresh eyes to look at this as if we're looking at it for the first time. Let us look to see what qualities you would want to see in us as your disciples today. I ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. You may be seated. Thank you. So in your bulletin, I, I did uh, put a, a short outline, and if you want to follow along in that, you may. Uh, just a, a few of the main points. But I, hopefully, my first point, hopefully, is you don't think it's a little too oversimplistic of an observation. But when Jesus came upon Peter, then called Simon, uh, Andrew, his brother, and then James and John, his brother, so two, two sets of brothers, they were working when Jesus called them. They were washing their nets. It was morning time. They had just come in from a, from a long night of fishing at night. And they had, they had caught, not caught anything. They had not caught, even caught a, a single minnow, if you will. I don't mean these were sport fishermen. We think about fishermen today. Uh, this was their profession. And by all accounts, they were pretty good at it. And, and for them to have such an unsuccessful night that they did not even bring in anything. Jesus, as he was going about his early, this early part of his ministry, was searching out the ones that he would call to be his core disciples, and eventually his apostles and the early church leaders. He knew he needed people that didn't mind hard work. He didn't go to the intellectual centers of the day to find the smartest minds. He went to everyday people. I find that encouraging. Have you ever shaken hands with somebody, and from the simple act of a handshake, you can tell a little bit about that person? If their hands are tough and maybe a little callous, you know that person knows the value of hard work. In the life of a church, sometimes people get offended because the pastor didn't ask him or her to serve on a committee or to help with some special project. Could it be that that person is on the sidelines for almost everything else and hasn't demonstrated their commitment to get involved and to work? Make no mistake, there is work to be done in God's ministry. Jesus himself told us that, in, uh, told the disciples that, and told, by virtue, uh, told us that in Matthew chapter 9, verse 36, 38. He says, and it, that reads, but when he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion for them because they were weary scattered like sheep having no shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore pray to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Make no mistake, there is work to be done. We need to roll up our sleeves and get to work. These disciples do that. Second thing I'd like you to see in this passage as it relates to what I would call the qualities of a quality disciple is that they were not discouraged when setbacks occurred. We see this in verse 5. Verse 5, uh, but, but Simon answered uh, and said to him, Master, we have toiled all night and have caught nothing. Nevertheless, at your word, I will let down the net. They weren't downhearted about not catching any fish. They weren't sitting there sulking about what did we do wrong? 
Why did no fish voluntarily jump into our nets? Our text doesn't indicate this. Any of this, that they were discouraged or downhearted. What they were doing, though, the text does say this. They were mending their nets. They were washing their nets. They were cleaning their nets for the next day's catch that they knew in their heart of heart would be successful. As believers in Christ, we will experience setbacks. What will we do? Will we sit back and complain, sulk? Or we just rest in the fact that God is in control. And no matter how disappointed we may be at the moment, God is able to use this for our growth. To put it in perspective of church, uh, in the life of a church, uh, I'm told you guys have a sunrise service planned for Resurrection Sunday. And, that, and the other day, Linda showed me the garden and where it's going to be at. It's a beautiful spot. And that was your work day to get, help get it ready. Clearly, you're hoping to have visitors on that day. And I pray that you do. Only God knows how many will be here on that Sunday. And if we assign some type of, some number to that, to what success looks like for that Resurrection Sunday, we are setting us, ourselves up for disappointment if we don't reach that arbitrary number. We do what we do, we put it in God's hands. The disciples didn't have time to sit around and, uh, and sulk. They had to get ready for the next night's catch. The third thing I see in this passage, and Jesus recognizes that you know, Jesus is there. He's got a crowd of people. He's wanting to address them, but they're pressed in. And he recognizes the need to be able to, to be seen and to be heard by everyone. And he sees a, a couple boats sitting there, and he gets into one of the boats, and it's Simon's boat. And he asks him, to use his boat to push it out. Because you know, when you're ever on water, water, sound carries better over water, does it not? And I just picture in my mind that it's maybe a little of a, of a, of a semicircular, uh, you know, kind of harbor maybe where the boats are pulled in. And if Jesus gets into a boat and gets pushed out into the water a little bit, he's able to be heard and seen by everyone. And I think this demonstrates the third quality, that they were willing to have what they had to be used for the service of God. So they row the boat out a short distance so, they could be, so Jesus could be heard and seen better. Peter and Andrew allowed Jesus to use their boat. And to be honest with you, it probably wasn't much of a boat. It probably was a little fishy smelling. What do we have in our either possessions or abilities that can be used to glorify God. If we recognize that whatever we have is, is from God in the first place, and we are but stewards of that, we would be willing to use those talents, gifts, abilities, possessions for the glory of God. I once saw a bump sticker. Anybody, any pickup truck owners? In the, in, in, in pickup truck owners? Okay. So you may relate to this, uh, hopefully not, but I once saw a, a, a bumper sticker on a pickup truck. And it said, yes, this is my truck. No, I won't help move your stuff. <laughs> As a pickup truck owner myself, I know that what it means to be asked to help move a sofa or to help do something, because it, pickup trucks are useful, help, helpful. Uh, they're utilitary. 
Utilitarian, I guess you would say. I don't want to make a judgment about that person uh, that had that truck, but I'm guessing that that person was not a believer because if he or she were, they would be more apt, more willing to use what they have to create opportunities to share the gospel, even if it is through the process of moving somebody's sofa. Do you need to take an inventory of your possessions and abilities to see if you're using them just as Peter and Andrew did? I'm not musical, but I love the fact that people are able to use their musical talents to the glory of God and to help lead us in song. That's just but one example of the gifts, talents, and abilities God has given us. We see this, that Peter and Andrew were willing to allow Jesus to use their fishing boat. The fourth thing, that uh, fourth observation I see in this passage, we see um, that uh, they were willing to give God the credit for any successes they experienced. Jesus sees their disappointment. Because of their fruitless night's work, they had, come, they had worked all night long. They had come in not catching a single thing. It's easy to be downhearted. It's easy to, be, to get discouraged. Jesus was, preparing, was using that to prepare them for a true blessing. And their efforts, if they were to remain faithful, would, would prove fruitful. We see this in verse 6. Verse 6 says that after Jesus, uh, and when, he, when they had done this, they caught a great number of fish, and their net was breaking. Remember, they were faithful when, when the Lord asked them, told them to, to cast their nets. But notice their response. They weren't slapping each other on the back and rejoicing that, see, we haven't lost it after all. We are still good fishermen. We still, we've still got it. No, Peter immediately recognized that it was Jesus, it was God that had done this. Now, Peter's response wasn't what I... <laughs> but I love Peter. I love Simon Peter. His response wasn't... Well, it might not be different than my response or anybody else's. But we see it in verse 8. It says, when Simon Peter saw it, meaning the, the, the collection of fish, he fell down at Jesus' knees and saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. He knew that he was not worthy to be in the same boat with Jesus. He recognized his own inadequacies. But yet, he still gave credit where credit was due, and that was to the Lord. We need to be willing to do the same thing. When success comes our way in anything we do, if we don't immediately deflect that and give the credit to God, we could be in the same situation we recognize that it all is from the Lord. Same as in the ministry. And just a reminder that if you're a believer here, you have a ministry. We all have a ministry. Um, Paul writes to the Corinthians in 2 Corinthians 5.18. says, And all things are of God who hath reconciled us to himself by Christ Jesus and hath, hath given us, us, a ministry of reconciliation. So if we have any success in our ministries, we need to give the credit to God. It's his, not ours. 
The fifth thing I'd like you to see in this passage is that these first disciples knew the value of teamwork. First, we already talked about they worked in pairs. The Bible was very clear on that. Peter and Andrew, they were brothers, they had a boat. James and John, they were brothers, they had a boat. But also, it indicates that they were partners. In this passage I read, uh, we read, we see the word partners twice, occurring twice. They weren't just James and John, two fishermen that happened to be nearby. They were a team. My son Tucker, he's not here today, but uh, he has a phrase he likes to say, and I'm pretty sure he probably learned it from a coach or somebody. But he says, teamwork makes the dream work. It's true. Jesus reinforced this when he sent out the 70 disciples in Luke chapter 10. He sent them out in pairs. We also see this in the Old Testament book of Ecclesiastes. It says, and that reads, two are better than one. Two are better than one. I'm sure you're familiar with this passage. Because they have a good reward for their labor. For if they fall, one will lift up his companion. But woe to him who is alone when he falls, for he has no one to help him up. Again, if two lie down together, they will keep warm. But how can one be warm alone? Though one may be overpowered by another, two can withstand him. And a threefold cord is not quickly broken. These disciples knew the value of teamwork. Let me ask you this. Do you have a ministry partner? Do you have a partner that you share the load with? We all should. The fifth, or excuse me, the sixth and last thing in this passage that uh, I'd like, like us to see, and it's in verse 11. And it really is the focal point of this lesson, of this, of this sermon, of this passage. It says, So when they had brought their boats to land, they forsook all and followed him. When they met the master, they left it all behind. It doesn't say that they forsook some things. It doesn't even say that they forsook most worldly distractions. They forsook all and followed him. Now Matthew and Mark, the other gospel writers, you know, two of the other gospel writers, did write about this account in their gospels. And under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, they, choose, they chose to be a little less, not to be as, as all-inclusive. But I think it's important to note that Matthew, when he writes this, this account, he includes the added fact that Zebedee, James and John's father, were present on the boat and specifies that, they, that when they left, that they left their father to follow Jesus. Today, in many parts of the world, when one makes a decision to follow Christ, they're abandoned by their family. They're disowned by their family. It's up to the church to welcome them as brothers and sisters. Similarly, when Mark, in his account uh, in, in Mark's gospel, he mentions that they left their nets behind. Now these nets, I mean, these were the very same nets. Think about it. These were the very same nets that just only a few, only a few moments before, a few, maybe an hour before, that they were so meticulously mending and cleaning. The nets represented their livelihood, their careers, their incomes. 
Are we willing to step out in faith? And if necessary, change our careers. Take risks if we sense God is calling us to do so. I'm reminded of the story of the young ruler. I was grown up to refer to them as a rich young ruler, although the text doesn't call him that. Whatever that one thing is that you are not willing to forsake in order to follow Jesus, without hesitation, it is that very thing that will keep us from fully committing our life to Jesus. The account of the rich, 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 rich young ruler, got to slow down a second, is in Mark chapter 10. Uh, and, and then Jesus, looking at him, loved him, and said to him, one thing you lack, go your, go, go your way, sell whatever you have, and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven, and come, take up the cross, follow me. But he was sad at, the, at, this, at this word, this is the, the rich young ruler, and went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. That one thing he was not willing to give up. Have you ever thought about a hot air balloon? Have you ever seen a picture of a hot air balloon? Particularly like an older picture. You will see bags tied to the outside of the hot air balloon. Those are bags of sand or some other heavy uh, material, heavy heavy, uh, uh, substance. And they act as a ballast. But if you think about it, why would a, a lighter than air hot air balloon carry such extra and almost seemingly unnecessary weight. Because it's at critical points that the pilot of that hot air balloon will jettison, cast off that, those, that, that ballast if he needs to rise fast, even faster than what if he were to relight the flame. And I'm not a hot air balloon guy, but, but it will rise faster than what it, he could if he were to, 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 to turn on the flamethrower Similarly, there is in, in our lives, if we are not willing to turn over and surrender, there is that, that one thing, that one thing is, is what will keep us from fully serving Jesus. I'd like to close with a very familiar passage, and it's found in Hebrews chapter 12, and I think it ties it all together. Um, we see that the disciples followed Jesus. They forsook everything and followed Jesus. So in Hebrews chapter 12, starting in verse 1, Therefore we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and sin that so easily ensnares us, and let us run with endurance the, the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our, of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Will you pray with me? Most precious Heavenly Father, thank you once again for your word. Thank you for the lessons that we can draw from it. Lord, search our heart. If there's one thing that we're not willing to give up, if we're not willing to turn over to you, show us what that is. Make it clear what's that thing that's holding us back. Lord, use us 
develop us into a disciple that you would be able to. These disciples turned over the world. Lord, let us reach our community in that same way. There's a lost and dying world outside these doors. There's work to be done. It's your church. Your plan is for your church to accomplish that work. We thank you for Christ Jesus. In his name I pray, amen. Thank you. Father, we thank you for this time together. Praise. Let us always remember that no matter how we are, who we are or how competent or incompetent we are, we think we are, that you have given each one of us some special gifts that can be used by you to further your kingdom. Lord, let us be open to those to those gifts being used, and let us not be afraid. Let our trust be in you. This we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Go in peace.